Hello, and welcome to this podcast by the Centre for Geopolitics at the University of Cambridge. My name is Philip Hirsch, and today I will be talking with Nikolai von Ondarza. He is head of the research division on Europe and the EU at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, or Stiftung Wissenschaft und Politik, which I think it is fair to say is Berlin's foremost foreign policy think tank. He is also an organizer of the British-German Outlook Group, a yearly exchange between the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, Chatham House, as well as the British and German Foreign Office. Nikolai, it is great to have you here today. Thanks for joining. Good to talk to you. Our topics today will mostly be Europe and Brexit. The last election in 2017 in Germany was very much shaped by debates around Europe, I would say, either in the fore or in the background. The campaign happened in the aftermath of the refugee crisis, uh, Brexit, the election of Macron as French president with an agenda of European reform. What has happened since? What has been the German attitude towards European reform in the last few years? I would say that Germany has pretty much been a status quo power. So the main ambition for Germany has been to keep the EU27 uh, together. There have been the twin shocks of Brexit and Trump elections in 2016. And that has really focused minds in Germany that the EU as such is in existential danger. And that the task of Germany as a middle power is to keep the European Union together because that is what gives Germany influence on the international stage. It's a foundation for Germany's economy. And so all the attention and energy of the German government really went on keeping the EU27 together. And that we'll discuss later on worked quite well on the Brexit negotiations where Germany really backed the EU-wide approach and always said we need to do that as EU27 together. But some see it more critical in other areas. For instance, Emmanuel Macron never really got an answer to a lot of his reform proposals because Berlin was always hesitant because um, very ambitious EU reforms could drive the EU27 apart, could lose some member states who are also critical of further integration or further transfer of powers or further transfers of fiscal competences. And therefore, Germany really has focused on keeping the status quo rather than developing the EU further. And then, of course, in the first half of 2020, COVID hit. And you had this big idea of introducing this huge fund that cannot only give credits, but also grants to EU member states and really help the reconstruction and the economic recovery in countries like Italy, Spain, but also other affected EU countries. And that uh, really for Germany was a fundamental change. And I would say it's the one big idea that Germany supported in recent years, where it was really willing to overstep some of its red lines, confront some of its allies and say, we need to move big here in order to save the European Union. Otherwise, the huge economic shock of COVID will drive the EU apart. The idea of common European debt programs certainly was a red line for a number of more critical or politicians more critical of the EU in Germany. Um, but it was accepted, I think, ultimately, because, as you say, it was seen as an emergency measure. The question, I think, now is, is it really an emergency measure? Is this going to be a one-off? Or can Berlin say, that's it, in a few years? Or would it rather have to keep going with such a European common debt approach? That will be one of the crucial debates in German politics about how to move forward. For now, it was clear that initially there was 
such a huge support for the recovery fund on the basis that it was an emergency temporary measure. And so even old fiscal hawks like Wolfgang Schäuble, the uh, former finance minister, said during the time uh, in 2020, we need to move big. We, the EU needs to, to spend it. The EU needs to show solidarity to all its members in order to show its values to, to citizens. And so there was really when Angela Merkel made this proposal with Emmanuel Macron for the recovery fund uh, there outside of the AfD, the Alternative for Deutschland, there was broad political support um, in the whole political spectrum. And it was possible to pass uh, the necessary legislation with a huge majority in the Bundestag. But since then, we've seen an emerging debate where some like the SPD and it's the, the current German finance minister, Olaf Scholz, speaks of a Hamiltonian moment um, and says that this is something that needs to be built upon. The German Greens are arguing we need real fiscal integration in the Eurozone, whereas the CDU is quite clear in the majority um, that this is really a one-off instrument. And the FDP, the, the German liberals, are even harder. They are somewhat critical how the recovery fund has been put up and are also insisting that this needs to be a one-off uh, moment. And so I think for now, I expect Germany's position after the election, depending on the government formation, of course, to be continue to insist that this is a one-off instrument. But when the next crisis hit, that will really be the defining moment now that this instrument has been established. It will be tested. The EU is now issuing bonds on a larger scale in the financial markets, and it will be tested on how well the EU is received here, but also how well the recovery fund is implemented in countries like Italy, Spain, and others. And I think after this test, this discussion will come back, not for the election campaign, I don't think that, but um, for the next government and for the potential next crisis, whether the EU will continue to, to use that instrument. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think if you look at the last few years, the, the next crisis can't be too far away if you, in terms of uh, the, the years to count. Um, maybe to add something on, on that, um, Germans always view EU politics through a very legal lens. Mm. So there are a lot of lawyers who do EU politics in Germany. And this is also true for these crisis manage management tools. And the recovery fund is based on, an, on a crisis management tool, Article 122 of the Treaty for the Function of the European Union, which only works in crisis management. And so there's already a court case before the German Bundesverfassungsgericht on the recovery fund. And I'm quite certain that for now, Germany could only support such instruments if they are tied to a specific crisis moment, which ensures the legal base. Outside of this crisis mo moment, I don't think Germany could support that even in a different government formation precisely because there is a lack of a legal base without treaty change to implement such a far-reaching measure. Yes, and of course, like for our English listeners, the Bundesverfassungsgericht, that is the German Supreme Court. Uh, and, of, and that has taken very big decisions on, on European politics. And of course, it does keep the authority to say we could make Germany leave the euro leave the european union if we just wanted so so it, it has a really potential it has a big role to play in this debate well there's an ongoing battle between the bundesverfassungsgericht so the german constitutional court and the european court of justice about who has the final right to interpret how european law is implemented in, in germany and the bundesverfassungsgericht has come quite close to questioning the authority of the European Court of Justice um, over it. It has in recent court judgments a little bit diffused the tensions. So for now, there is no immediate pressure to act, but it could 
pop out any moment, especially on these court cases on the recovery fund and anything that has to do with the ability of the European Central Bank to finance the euro, but also now the European Union to issue debt. Uh, so this is a critical issue that the next German government will also have to look at. So is it fair to summarize you as saying that Europe is not an important theme for the election campaign, but it is an important theme for the formation of the new government? Yes, and we've seen that already in 2017. You said in, in the beginning that Europe played a big role in the election. I would say only in the aftermath of the election. Uh, so during the election campaign, there was almost no real debate on, on Europe, even though we were just behind the euro crisis, just at the end of the migration crisis, Europe almost didn't play a role. And none of the major parties have an interest to make Europe a, a big issue. They don't differ enough for that to make it a big issue. And they also don't want to make it an issue out of uh, giving a, an election campaign issue to the, to the AfD. And so in 2017, already The discussion was about veggie days, so vegetarian food in canteens. It was maybe about public transport, but nothing about Europe. And then in the aftermath, in the coalition treaty negotiations, which are very essential for German government formation, the coalition treaties, the last one has been over 100 pages, I think, very detailed chapter on Europe. And there really it played an essential role. And I expect the same to happen in, in 2021. We've seen the first debates between the three chancellor candidates from the CDU, Armin Laschet, from the Greens, Annalena Baerbock, and from the SPD, Olaf Scholz. And on Europe issues, they really didn't differ at all. They talked a little bit more about foreign policy issues, but I don't expect any of them to make this campaign about Europe. And it will really be only in the aftermath in the coalition negotiations, where by all likelihood, we will not only get a new chancellor, but also a new coalition. We will get very, very detailed coalition negotiations, and it will here be that these questions will come to the forefront. Um, how pro-integrationist will be the next German government? How ambitious will it be for EU reform? How will it approach certain topics like the future of the Eurozone? How to deal further with the COVID crisis? How to deal with migration on the European area? These areas where there are significant differences between the major parties, I think only in the coalition negotiations will it be a, a huge topic. Armin Laschet, who is the Christian Democrat candidate, he seems to be committed to a stronger integration in Europe almost personally, but is his party, is there going to be a sort of difference between candidate and party when it comes to governing the country if he really were to become chancellor? I think it's first important to stress, especially for a UK audience, that none of the major parties in Germany can in any way be characterized as Eurosceptic. Uh, so uh, the CDU sees itself as uh, a Euro party, the party of Europe. And in some shape or form, the CDU, the SPD, the Liberals and the Greens all have a very pro-European program. And even the, the Linke, so the German left, are in principle strongly in favor of European integration, but are more critical in the economic policies of, of the EU. And the only real outlier is the AfD, which are a far outlier who um, are calling for an exit from the European Union, exit referendum for Germany. But the CDU sees itself still very much as a pro-European party that wants to keep the EU together and strengthen European integration. Where they differ is what is the best way to, to strengthen the European Union. 
And here we come to the clash between Armin Laschet and parts of his party that, that you outlined, which circles around the Eurozone, where um, I would say the majority of CDU, CSU uh, supporters and probably also parliamentarians still maintain that the best way to advance the Eurozone is to strengthen competitiveness of individual Eurozone countries, strengthen the fiscal rule, and return to a Eurozone where it's clear that each member state is responsible for its own economy. And that then, if all member states really are strengthened, this will strengthen the whole Eurozone. And that therefore, more fiscal transfers on the European level, outside of this emergency problem of the COVID crisis, can be more detrimental to competitiveness as it sends the wrong incentives. And this leads to a position that the CDU in its majority, they haven't published their program yet. They are the only party who haven't done so, but have been made clear that they are against further fiscal transfers and are for a Eurozone policy that focuses on competitiveness. But that still for them is a pro-European policy and will maybe lead to some clash with Armin Laschet, but he still, as you said, is a moderator and within his party, I think, will stress more common issues of European politics, like in, in foreign policy, on migration, where he has been a big supporter of Angela Merkel's uh, politics. He has now come out strongly in favor of the EU vaccination program, which has now picked up speed. And he's somebody uh, from Northern Westphalia, so on, on the border to the Netherlands, Belgium, and therefore has very much stressed the sort of cross-border cooperation in the, in the European Union. So you can expect a German chancellor from the CDU in Armin Laschet to continue this view of Germany as a central European power that needs to keep the EU together, that maybe isn't as bold in its ambition for EU reform like the Greens, but still is very much a pro-European force. You mentioned the COVID crisis and of course a lot of what the next government will have to do is to find a long-term response to the, the fallout of the uh, corona crisis in Germany. Do you think the German government will look to the EU in its response to find a European approach largely, or would it see this more as a national task? Uh, definitely the first. So um, Germany has been one of the drivers behind the idea for uh, a EU-wide vaccination program. And as I'm sure everybody knows, there have been huge problems in the beginning. EU has, been, uh, has had problems with AstraZeneca and later signing of the agreement so that the initial vaccination program in the EU, but Germany um, also was slower in comparison to Israel, but also the UK and the United States. But since then, it has hugely picked up. Germany is now at over 45% vaccinations, first doses vaccinations, and the mood there is shifting. And the German government has insisted and will continue, I think, after the election to insist that uh, we only can get through this crisis together and that there needs to be several elements that can be only done on the European level. The vaccination program so that we can also open up Europe-wide with at least a joint level of vaccination in, uh, in all member states. And then the joint economic recovery where Germany, as I said, in its economic model depends on trade with other EU partners. So a stat that is often used is that the, the four eastern neighbors of, of Germany, so Poland, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia and Hungary, 
trade more with Germany than, than our prime economic partner, China. And the Eurozone as a whole and the EU as a whole is even more important. And so for Germany, economic recovery, but also full opening up can only work with if the whole EU can open up. And therefore, I, I expect this will continue to be the case and Germany will continue to uh, insist on an EU vaccination program and this economic uh, recovery. Um, what will be, I think, more a point of contention, and here we come back to fiscal policies, is when to come back to normal fiscal rules. So Germany was supportive of opening up the more flexibility for fiscal rules in the Eurozone. And to allow huge spending, Germany itself did huge spending during the, the COVID crisis. And we know that France, who has the EU Council presidency in the first half of 2022, wants to put the reform of the fiscal policies of the Eurozone on the agenda. And I think this will be the big test for the next German government in how far it will be willing to extend this flexibility or even reform EU fiscal rules further, or in how far the likes of the CDU and the German liberals will insist on coming back to the old fiscal rules once the majority of the COVID crisis, at least the economic crisis, is over. The fact that France is going to be EU Council presidency as of January is quite important, I think, because obviously the German government will have to balance its response to the policies that Macron proposes also with the demands of the French presidential election, because, of course, the last thing they want to do is to hurt Macron in a, and then uh, inadvertently strengthen Le Pen in her bitter presidency. And I think that that might really put them in a quite complex uh, situation. Yeah, I think there will be several pieces of the puzzles to balance for Germany and the next government. The first will be the question, will we have a new government by then? So in 2017, the uh, coalition negotiations took into 2018. And this time, depending on how the election results come in, uh, there might be several coalition options. There might be even coalition option one with the center right, one with the center left, depending on how well the Greens do and the other parties of the left. And so it could be a difficult government formation with several options. These government negotiations are very lengthy, very detailed, uh, and they take their time. And so there is a scenario where there could be no new German government by the 1st of, of January. This is, this is the first to, to balance. The second to balance is, of course, how to deal with Emmanuel Macron's Europe ambition. As you said, he is very ambitious, but he faces the election campaign in May. And Germany, of course, has a very strong interest in keeping Emmanuel Macron as French president and most of all avoiding a scenario where Marine Le Pen becomes French president. There will be a discussion on how much to support his reform agenda to give him a boost, but also a hesitancy to give in too much to, to Orbán's demands in contrast to German interests, but also the interests of other German allies. And you could see that really, again, looking back to 2017, when Macron was elected, where Germany was supportive of, uh, of his election campaign, but didn't want to intervene directly and didn't give France any big boost before the election campaign. There was a huge sigh of relief after he was elected. And one week after, the Spiegel, so the big German weekly magazine, titled Teurer Freund, so expensive friend, uh, about Macron's election victory. 
totally changing the narrative in the sound. Now we have to be careful what the French really want and we can't give him too much because it can hurt our savings and we can't give too much into his Eurozone reform uh, proposals. And I think there will be this, this second balance. And the third balance and final point to that is the, the balance that we have now in the Franco-German uh, relationship. Through Brexit, France and Germany have become, again, the primary powers within the European Union much more focused, again, on the responsibility of Germany and France to drive the EU forward, um, which we've seen on the recovery fund. When they agree together, they can really drive the EU agenda. Where they don't agree, the EU stops working to some extent. And I think this will really be the question when we have a new German chancellor, what will be his or her relationship to Macron? And can they get the German Franco engine running again? During Merkel and Macron's time, it was always a, a difficult dance. They got some reform proposals together, but on many issues, they still disagreed fundamentally and often could only come together in terms of crisis. They never got together for big branching proposals outside of, of the recovery fund. And I think this will be one of the tasks of the next German government to find a new balance. And it will be interesting to see once the French presidential elections are over and we'll see who will then be the next French president, next German chancellor, how they can develop this relationship forward in an EU of 27 without the UK. Since you mentioned Brexit, I think that's our cue to turn to this uh, block now. We are obviously now in a post-Brexit world. What do you think today is the view on, on Brexit in Berlin? How much does it matter to Berlin? So I think you can still characterize it as sadness and acceptance. So there was a huge shock initially in 2016 after the Brexit referendum. The German public and I think especially the politicians expected the UK to be quote-unquote pragmatic and narrowly vote for remaining within the EU and therefore there was a huge shock. But very shortly afterwards, Germany laid out its fundamental strategy for how to deal with Brexit. And I think that hasn't really changed through any of the difficult phases of the last now five years. And this was, as I said in the beginning, the priority um, on keeping the EU27 together, safeguarding the EU and its single market and getting an orderly Brexit and only as a third priority to get a working trade agreement with the UK that works for the European Union under the condition that it safeguards the single market. And I think this is really important to, to understand how Germany behaved throughout this Brexit process. This is why Germany was very strongly behind Ireland in trying to find a solution for Northern Ireland and the border there. This is why Germany was very clear that there could be no bilateral negotiations between Berlin and London over Brexit, even during the German presidency at the sort of final stages on the negotiations on the trade and cooperation agreement. All of that was done through Brussels, so Barnier and von der Leyen and Merkel kept completely out of it. And so Germany was always very focused to say, no, this is a matter for the EU27. We are strongest if we negotiate as a whole and we can't be divided by the UK and we need to focus on keeping the EU27 together. Now, in this post-Brexit era that we are in now, this means that the UK for Germany is still an important trading partner. 
although it has slipped down the ranking from, I think, third to now seven or eighth place of uh, Germany's most important trading partners. It is still an important trading partner, but the cooperation with the EU matters first and foremost. And so Germany is quite content with the trade agreement, but would wish there to be more cooperation. And the, mat the way it is now is that I think Germany wants to push for a little bit more cooperation between the UK and the EU as, as such, wants to get the difficulties over Northern Ireland resolved and wants to add additional options or uh, components of cooperation like in foreign and security policy, but is still very much focused on doing this between the EU and the UK rather than the UK and Germany. And I would say the difficult start into the post-Brexit area has reinforced that matter. And so there have been long discussions between the German Foreign Office and the British Foreign Office about a closer foreign policy cooperation. And this has been pushed back and back and back during the difficult Brexit negotiations. And it has also been pushed back now because Germany says we first want to resolve the difficult phase over, over Northern Ireland. And the more there is some easing between the UK and the EU, the more this would open up space for, for Germany to have some more bilateral cooperation between the UK, as it would then not be seen as driving the, the EU apart. And I think this is my, my final point on that. There is some fear always in Berlin that the UK focuses too much on Germany and wants to use Berlin as an anchor into Europe and basically say we do something separately with the Germans, something separately uh, with the French, and then we don't really need the EU any, anymore. And this is where Germany has been very careful. It cooperates with the UK, of course, in the G7 now, in the United Nations, in COP26 or in the E3, together with France. But it doesn't want to enter into a very, very strong bilateral relationship that could be at to the cost of the EU-UK relationship. I mean, it seems to me that the British government in its narrative of foreign policy today says Brexit has happened, now we're moving on, this is a new phase. Whereas your description of the, the view in relations to Britain from a German perspective is that nothing has actually changed. This is sort of 2016 is still, the, the aftermath of 2016 is still very much going on and we're basically in the same situation that we were in two or three years ago. I, I would say there is a change. So the German government also says Brexit has happened. We need to move on, but the EU exists. So if you read the integrative review of the UK for foreign and security policy, there's basically a big hole and it in most areas treats foreign and security policy as if the EU doesn't exist. And Germany is saying, no, for us, the EU is essential for our foreign policy, for all our external trade policy, for how we structure our economy. And the relations with the UK need to fit into our position within the European Union. And for the majority of policy areas, the EU is a primary framework and their relations are being done between Brussels and, and London. And Berlin will support that, will influence, of course, the EU position strongly on that behind after German interest, but that the negotiations on how the trade relationship and so on should look like should happen between the EU and the UK. And of course, now Brexit has happened and we need to find 
a way of working together uh, with the UK. And I think what German counterparts try to tell the UK officials is that if you work more comfortably with the EU in the international sphere, then it will also be easier for us to work with you bilaterally. If there is a real partnership between the UK and its European allies, then there will be the level of EU-UK relations and the level of UK-German, UK-French, UK-Polish relations and so on. But if it's such a confrontative relationship between the UK and the EU, and the UK is being perceived in Berlin as not keeping to the treaties it has signed with the EU of trying to undermine uh, what it has done in Northern Ireland or committed to in Northern Ireland, then this is really seen as a danger. And I said sometime that Germans view international politics really through the prism of international law. We have a lot of lawyers in the Foreign Office and the Chancellery. And what was really seen as scandalous in Germany was this internal market bill in the UK and the willingness to violate a treaty that you just signed eight months ago. And this really has damaged the reputation of the UK as a partner in the German public. Not so much in the government who has some small, I would say, sliver of understanding for the difficult position of the UK, but still this idea that you would willingly go ahead and break a treaty that you just signed eight, eight months ago, that was seen as, as outright scandalous. And therefore, I think this poison that the difficult Brexit negotiation introduced hasn't left the bilateral relations. And therefore, it's now accepted Brexit has happened. But the wish of Germany is for a more comfortable partnership between the UK and the EU and then also its member states. You say that it's accepted that Brexit has happened, but do you think there's still some sort of secret hope in Germany that 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, the British will realize their big mistake and will return to the, into the arms of the European Union? I would say not really anymore. So for a long, long time, Germans, uh, politicians in Germany held up the hope uh, that there could be a reversal of the position in the UK. And certainly if we think back to the big parliamentary fights of 2019, especially and the defeats of Theresa May in the House of Commons and the big demonstrations in London, they were hugely covered in German media. And there was a serious debate about whether there could be a political victory of those who were advocating for a second referendum and then remaining within, within the European Union. But I would say within the, with the decisive victory of Boris Johnson at the end of 2019 and the victory of the Brexiteers, that really was the point where everyone accepted that this is done uh, and Brexit has happened. And I don't think there is any serious expectation that there is an option for any short-term reversal. So there, if you look at, again, at the party programs, interestingly, a lot of them have a very small section on Brexit. Most of them insist on ensuring that trade happens, but it doesn't damage or endanger European standards and so that the level playing field needs to be ensured. That is basically common to all major, major parties. And the liberals are the only one who have a, a short sentence that if the UK wants to come back, the EU should be open to that. But I don't think this is a serious option that's, that's being discussed. It's more the question on how can we both as Germany ensure that the UK keeps to its commitments 
that level playing field is kept and that it doesn't lead to huge divergences between the UK and, and, and the EU. As, as I said, Germany still values the UK as a partner in the international sphere. To go back to German European policy, one that I just realized we have not really talked much about the Liberal Party, the FDP. You just mentioned them in a sentence. If there is actually a, not such a small likelihood that there might be a three-party coalition and the Liberals, they could even end up in the Foreign Office in, in, in a certain scenario. How, how would their approach to, to Europe look? Yeah, I think generally we first have to say that polls are in Germany really widely fluctuating at the moment. We have seen a huge rise of the Greens. Now they have been a little bit deflated again. We now see a shift from the CDU to the FDP. So the German liberals are rising again to above 10%. And as you said, there are now very many coalition options. And we're entering a summer where suddenly all the coronavirus lockdown measures are being lifted one by one. And we don't really know how this will influence the, the public mood. And so it is important to look at the liberals. And they have an, an interesting mixture in the sense that they are, by their heritage, a hugely pro-European party. And in their party program, they have the ambition of a European federal state, something that would be an outcry in, in the UK public debate. But they're quite critical on Eurozone policies. So they are very clear that they reject any part of uh, EU taxes or further EU-owned resources that would look like taxes, and they reject any further fiscal transfers. If you think about a possible government between the CDU, CSU, the Greens, and the Liberals, there you would have very pro-integrationist Greens, very open to fiscal transfers. The CDU open now for the emergency, but not for, for the permanent solution. And then finally, the liberals who are very critical. And so this could even be the one critical point for the, for the government formation if the, if the liberals enter, um, as I said, with a very pro-European outlook, but very critical on the specific point of, of fiscal competences and the development of the eurozone. My final question, just to bring it all back to the beginning, we talked about 2017, we talked about the past. Will Angela Merkel be missed in Brussels? I think it will certainly be a siege change for Brussels. She really has made a huge impression on European politics. She's now been in power for 16 years and she has become the power center in the European Council, not only because of the economic weight of Germany, but also because she had many allies in the European People's Party, the biggest party in Europe, and she has the biggest network in the, in the European Council. And this really will open a, a vacuum at first. And so I think there are some who are looking with apprehension in Brussels, whether we will see a bit more unstable European Union with with Angela Merkel no longer being able to fill that, that role. An uncertain Macron, which, who has to fight for his own political survival, at least for the election next year. Draghi, who has more credibility on the European scene than his predecessors, but it's uncertain how long he will stay in power or whether he will even move also next year to the, to the Italian presidency. And so there are big responsibilities to fill for the next German chancellor. And here it will also, I think, matter who it becomes. 
we talked before about Armin Laschet. He would still have the, the European People's Party behind him. He has experience as the uh, governor of Northern Westphalia, so the biggest German Bundesland who is bigger than many European countries. And so he would bring, I think, a lot of experience with him, but would still have to prove him. But if it would be the Greens, Annalena Baerbock, there would be more questions because she doesn't have the political network. The Greens are not leading any other European government. Uh, she doesn't have government experience yet. And so the Greens would be more interesting in the sense that they bring a lot of ideas for reforming the EU, but would have less network and less political power in other EU member states behind them. So it really depends on who will fill Angela Merkel's shoes, how fast they can pick up that vacuum, and then how they how they will deal with Macron, Draghi, and others. But it's clear to say that after Angela Merkel leaves, the EU doesn't have this eminent leader that it had in the last, I would say, at least 10 years. Fantastic. Well, we will watch out for this and find out in a few months. It's not actually that far away now. Thank you very much uh, for your time, Nikolai. That was Nikolai von Andarza from the German Stiftung Wissenschaft und Politik, the German Institute for International and Security Affairs in Berlin. Thanks for listening to this podcast on Germany and the world. You can find the Center for Geopolitics on Twitter at Cam Geopolitics. All of our events and podcasts are advertised on our website at cfg.polis.cam.ac.uk.